favorite thinkers, the Vaz Sazak, posed an insightful question about history. He asked, what matters most, the historical event or the stories that we tell about it? He recognized that the events matter, but the stories we create and the stories that we tell have more effect upon the societies that we build. Take the French Revolution, for example, which is one of his favorite case studies. It quickly got out of hand and Parisian streets ran red with blood, but not just of the nobles that they th thought to overthrow, but also of anybody who looked like they benefited too much from the royal systems, anybody of means, anybody with wealth. So it began as an overthrow of corrupt systems that devolved into vengeance against anybody that represented who they thought their enemy was. Yet, it is spoken of as the birth of liberty in Europe. When we think of Jesus or the Bible, we inevitably think of a finished conversation. We usually think of the historical event. The development is over, the definitions are set in stone, and new stories are dangerous. This notion of final and fixed mute our ears to Paul's poetics, a poetic drawn out of his Hebrew tradition, a community's need, and the Christ event itself. Jennifer Collins' wisdom turns up Paul's voice a bit for us when she says the letters of Paul were adapting. They were creating an identity. They were negotiating who they could be. Paul appeals to his sacred text to find the first words for the new community story, not the last words in a historical debate. Adapting, creating, negotiating identities caught between tradition and lived experience to tell a living story affected by shifting boundaries over time, is the very essence of poetics. It never begins from the beginnings, though it's a neutral, objective place. It doesn't start from this space. It sits between the tensions of tradition and need. It sits between the past storytelling and the future hope we have for the people that have entered our lives. But we cannot forget that this shift of poetics means change. And change always reintroduces a little chaos into the expected and doubt into our secure thoughts. The shift will send us back to the beginnings where we will go line by line to try to say what was and how do we know that we should be who we are. And it's in this moment of the going back to re-narrate or going back to defend that we're offered a choice as we reread our shared past to circle in defense or to learn hospitality to isolate or to become affected by the inclusion of the other, to purify our ranks, or to change our borders. We will engage in poetics or apologetics, and you'll know which one you do by how it positions you towards or pushes you away from difference. Paul is a great example. He was known for a passionate purification, going from synagogue to synagogue, town to town, to root out difference, but then Christ happened, and he found room. Room which moved him from apologist of tradition to a poet of new creation. In Colossians, we hear him say in verse 12, that we give thanks to the Father who has made you able to take part of the saint's inheritance in the light. And who is this you he's speaking to? Who is he giving thanks for? It's, it follows in verse 21. It's you who are alienated from. Not only us, but God. You who were hostile towards, not just God, but us. And this caused him to turn from purging the threats to his community to celebrating the inclusion of his enemies. This movement is outlined 
in the constructive Christology written in verses 15 to 20. A poem that some scholars name the cosmological super Jesus in the way that it gives language about Jesus as the end and creator of all. A Christology went back to the beginning, not to retrace the historical primordial event of creation in Genesis 1, but to find room for more people through a generative reauthoring of creation in Genesis, centering around the heart of this poem, which says, He is before all things, and all things in Him are held together. He is the head of the body, the church. Now let's sit in that pat the whole poem around it, starting with 15. Who is the image of the invisible God, firstborn over all creation? That in him all things were created in heaven and upon earth, the seen and the unseen, thrones and rulers, powers and authority, all things through him and for him were created. And he is before all, and all things in him are held together. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, firstborn from the dead, in order that in all things he'd be first of importance, that in him God was well pleased for all fullness to dwell, and through him to reconcile all things towards him. He created peace through his bloody cross, through him upon the earth, and of the things in heaven. And as we begin with verse 15, who is the image of the invisible God? Paul echoes Genesis 1 and discovers Jesus, not in Genesis 1 as historical event, but Genesis 1 as the first word in new creation that will inevitably reorder the whole Roman world. In Genesis, God sits over chaos waters, bringing everything into a state of flourishing. And then as the climax of creation hits, he installs humanity as the image of God to expand God's reign by submission and ruling. Genesis invested power into humanity as a representation of God, but as a power over. Rome thought in the same manner. They only named it a little bit differently. It was called the peace of Rome. So when you hear that he created peace through his bloody cross, we want to hear the peace of Rome being challenged because they understood peace as power over those outside of us. This is why the cross has always been a tool of peace, of power over. Paul practiced the same peace when he participated in Stephen's execution. His death would preserve the way of Paul. So Paul moved from a citizen of Rome who would see the cross as a metric of peace. It doesn't matter who got to use it from a violent apologist driven to purify to a passionate leader who keeps the cross empty by reauthoring sacred traditions towards celebrating inclusion. Peace through inclusion, not purification. He embraced a poetic that found Christ in Genesis and led him to say, with joy, we give thanks to God because you are now us. And so that this cosmological God who holds all things together becomes the body who works through the body to finish the reconciliation of all things together. Constructing faith, though, didn't end with Paul. It began there. 
The joy experienced in expanding his faith through constructing a cosmic Christ that holds all things together and continues to do so as the head of the body, namely us as the church, caused him to realize there was work to be done because the theopoetics needed to be expanded to embrace all humanity as he knew it. Because some humanities today wouldn't be found within this story. Some of the humanities are still considered alienated and hostile. They will need generative readings just as bold as Paul finding Christ in Genesis 1 and echoing it into a letter to the Colossians. To experience being reconciled to Christ by the acceptance into the body. Because they experience the God who holds all things together, who is the head of the body, by the body including them into the community, in such a way that as Paul celebrated inclusion rather than purification, the body continues to have generative readings that moves towards an understanding of the Christ with all. Then we'll join Paul in celebrating. More than that, we'll join Paul in generative readings which discover the first words of new creation in our sacred traditions and say with him, Now I rejoice in these struggles on your behalf, and I feel the lack of suffering of Christ in my body on behalf of his body, which is the church. So Paul saw this struggle as something that needed to continue, that this generative reading, these poetics, that went to the text, but didn't say the text were the last word, didn't say scripture ended the conversation, but it said he began the conversation like he did within creation, within Genesis 1, and then read it into his Christology, said, who is Jesus? How do we understand Jesus? And therefore, how do we understand ourselves? It's in the image of God that wasn't at the end of creation, but was at the very beginning fountainhead of creation. And he is working to bring things back into order. And he is working now through the church as his body, who would continually be the image of God working towards restoration. So the struggle will continue as long as we hold on to divisions in humanity, to Christologies which do not find the image of God in all people, until we realize that we must risk our position within our own traditions like Paul did, to embrace generative readings from our shared tradition bent toward finding room for each person to be experienced as image of God. This is the work we're struggling for. Paul wrote the first word, not the last, and we are called to be poets of grace, poets of new creation, actively finding room for everyone to give voice to the story. And with that, I want to send us off with one of my favorite benedictions, because it calls us to this reckless, dangerous hope that we can find the words of faith and new creation and old stories to enable us to step into and write the next chapter. May God bless us with this comfort of easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships so that we may live deep within our hearts. May God bless us with anger at injustice, oppression, and exploitation of people so that we may work for justice, freedom, and peace. May God bless us with tears to shed for those who suffer from pain, rejection, hunger, and war, so that we may reach out with our hand to comfort them and turn their pain into joy. And may God bless us with enough foolishness to believe that we can make a difference in this world so that we can do what others claim cannot be done to bring reconciliation to all people, 
to bring justice and kindness to all our children and the poor.